welcome to the campfire, the only place where friends and strangers alike sit down and tell tales in truth or fiction in exchange of my blessing of their safe travels. Allow me to relight the fire while you relax and listen. Make your mind wander about the reality we live in. The story I'm about to tell you is from a traveler named Esram Dean One. He called this one Third Eye. Open, please. Allow me to tell you his tale. I had an uncle who was born with what some called a gift. Although to be honest, for him it was more of a curse. At the beginning, he could see through the veil that separates this world from the next. The concept is nothing new, it's been written about many times. In fact, one of the most famous pieces of fiction based on this phenomenon is Stephen King's novel The Shining. However, the reality of the thing, well, that's an altogether different story. My uncle was particularly strong in the gift, and as an infant, he started seeing strange persons and things, persons and things no one else could see. Sometimes these entities would attack him, resulting in seizure-like episodes. My grandparents grew up in a superstitious time and practicality soon gave way to fears of the supernatural. My uncle, who I shall call Joe, was dragged from church to temple to the mosque to everything in between before he was 15. And by the time he turned 16, he had his very own spiritualist attending to him. He was also heavily traumatized from all the ceremonies he was made to endure. He was about 15 years older than me, and I remember the episodes always terrified me. We knew something was going to happen when his eyes would roll upward and then he'd start screaming or fall to the ground in violent spasms. Shortly after, the praying from those around would start, punctuated by the intermittent cussing. It never worked. Truth be told, people treated him as you would treat someone with epilepsy, just waiting for another attack. I came from a big family. My uncle had seven brothers and four sisters. I grew up in my grandparents' home, so I witnessed some of this firsthand and learned much of it from the stories they would share. The family was often divided on what was happening. Many felt he was just acting this way for attention while the others felt that he needed more vigorous medical intervention. Very few accepted that the underlying cause was actually supernatural. So it made him a bit of a pariah, and sometimes when he did suffer an attack it was accompanied by a chorus of disbelief and insults. For many years he suffered alone, until one day he found another just like him. It was a woman several years older than he was. She was part of a group of spiritualists dot 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 well. To be honest, they were more like exorcists than anything else. It was within this group that he found camaraderie and belonging. Things that we all yearn for as individuals, I suppose. His apprehensiveness soon gave way to assertiveness, as he embraced his new family wholeheartedly. It led to some heated arguments with my grandparents. Although as a kid I was always sent to the next room. Didn't prevent me from eavesdropping though. They were worried that he was being used and misled by this group. Although underlying it all, I think they feared something more metaphysically sinister and the implications that might have for the family. But he was adamant and never wavered for an instant. I would always remember them coming to pick him up to go to another of their cleansings. And he was all too happy to talk about it whenever he got the chance. He often told us about having to confront demons and other less known spirits that would inhibit people's homes, 
property, and occasionally even the people themselves. He used to talk about the fact that he had been taught how to harness energy from within and from around him and use it as holy fire. He said that he and his colleagues would often engage in robust spiritual warfare with these entities, using the intangible holy fire as a weapon. They were strongest as a group, but could also fight as individuals. In everything they did, Joe always insisted that they walked with God and at the front. And he would often quote Ephesians, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ironically, my uncle became one of the leading members of the group in a short time. So powerful, apparently, was his particular gift. Indeed, on several occasions, I learned that he would engage some of these entities on his own, and in time became something of a marked man in the other world. Of all this, I had no real evidence, but I always remember something that happened when my grandmother died. We had a large gathering of friends and relatives over for the first night of the wake, and one of the favorite ways to pass time was to play cards. I was engaged in a game of cards with two close friends and another uncle, one much closer to my age, when this other uncle, John, suddenly froze. His eyes turned up in his head and he collapsed like a lock. In fact, if one of my friends had not grabbed him, he would have fallen flat, hitting his head. As he lay on the floor, he started mumbling strange words. And it was not long after that someone fetched Uncle Joe and he proceeded to lay his hands on his younger brother who suddenly started speaking to him in a thin voice, unlike his own. Joe, Joe, where am I? Mom, Joe responded, Mom, you have to let go of John right now. You have passed on and you have to go. His voice started rising. Now, let go of him this instant. And Uncle John went limp. By this time, a large group had gathered around us. Some looked on in horror, some with curiosity, and some with amusement. Not everyone was family, you see. Just seconds after Uncle John fell limp his sister, my aunt started acting weird. She closed her eyes and started swatting the air in front of her as if it was full of wasps. Then she too started mumbling incoherent words. Uncle Joe left John and grabbed her now. After several long moments, she too collapsed and a few minutes later opened her eyes. Both she and my Uncle John were exhausted and neither had any recollection of what had just happened. Uncle Joe told us it was the spirit of his mother, who was still in the house and had not yet moved on. I have no evidence to confirm any such thing, but it was weird. Joe eventually got married, had two sons, and moved to New York. I have visited him lots of times. New York, I've learned, is one of the most haunted places in America. I remember one year a couple friends and I were visiting for Thanksgiving. My uncle lived in Queens and it was an unusually warm year. So much so that we actually had the grill fired up in the backyard. There were seven of us hanging out chicken and burgers on the grill and a cooler filled with beer and vodka juice for the kids i was there with uncles joe and john joe's sons frank and eddie were also there as well as his neighbor mike and buddy carlton my aunt had gone to work it was about 5:30 and already getting dark when eddie who was eight at the time came storming down the driveway at the side of the house screaming that a woman was trying to get in the front yard and come after him we of course figured it was someone trying to break in and we all bolted to the front. But there was no one there. Eddie was still screaming and pointing toward the front entrance, insisting that the woman was still there and staring at us. Most of us could see nothing 
except for Joe, of course. He was staring intently at where Eddie was pointing, and there was a strange look on his face. Suddenly, his breathing got louder, deeper. His eyes closed, and the air around us felt charged with static electricity. I swear I got a whiff of what smelled like an overheating breaker, or electrical wires on fire. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. It went on like that for a couple minutes, the rest of us just staring at each other, and at Joe, who stood motionless. And then all was quiet again. Joe's breathing got shallower, and he opened his eyes. Eddie stopped yelling, turned, and started walking to the backyard. Eddie, you okay? I asked. Yup, Dad got it, was all he said. I didn't know what to believe. Joe later told us it was the spirit of a woman who had been horribly murdered, and refused to cross over and that years of anger had turned her spirit into an angry sort of demonic entity. It had noticed Eddie sometime during the day, while he was off at school, and had followed him home. It had been drawn to Eddie because he too had the gift. Joe said he had dealt with it, and that it would no longer be a threat to anyone. Those of us in the family had learned by now to just listen and let it be. If you believed, you believed. If you didn't, you nodded and stayed quiet. Joe told us you saw these spirits when your third eye was open. The third eye is located at the center of your forehead. It seems Eddie's had now opened fully. Frank, who was a year older, confessed that he had started seeing things as well. The next year, when we went back for Thanksgiving, neither of the kids was bothered by the apparitions anymore. Joe told us he and his group of friends had performed an intricate ceremony, which essentially shut the kids the third eye. Joe said he knew what it was like to live in fear and to be ridiculed by those who did not believe. And he didn't want that for his kids. The process was a temporary one, and the boys could have their sight restored when they reached 18, if they wanted. Only Frank chose to do so many years later. Eddie became a cop and moved to Houston. He never speaks about it. One time we were driving not far from where the famous Amityville house was. Joe said he had passed by there once, said the place was just a shell now, and that nothing spiritual inhabited it anymore. Intrigued, I of course wanted to know if the stories were true. He said he didn't know about the haunting or the possession, but that something nasty had once inhabited that area, and that the spiritual stink lingered, even to this day. There are many more instances when things have happened, and many other stories that Joe told us about which I will probably share with you another time. Last year, Joe died. He had a heart attack, and I miss him deeply. I pray that he is in a better place, and even though Frank says he connects with his father from time to time, I can only wonder what Joe is up to now, now that he too has walked through the veil. Now, that was the end of my tale. I hope you enjoyed yourself, listening while escaping the world you live in. That is all for today. Safe travels, and a blessed day. Thank you.